Welcome back. This personalized podcast is designed to review the neurocognitive deficits of the two most common ones we will discuss, delirium and dementia. Cognitive disorders are often thought of as disorders of older adults, although most common in the population of the elderly, that is greater than age 65, they can occur at any age. Cognitive disorders are complex medical conditions that result in changes of multiple domains, including memory, interpersonal relationships, and behavior. They can result from substance use or abuse disorders, reactions to medications, ingested agents, toxins, nutritional deficiencies. Let me begin with describing delirium first, as this is known to be a reversible condition, assuming one can identify what the underlying cause of the delirium is. Delirium is a syndrome, not a disease, much like all of the mental illness we will discuss and have discussed. It has typically an acute onset, which is one of its defining characteristics, and it can be short-term with respect to its effect on cognition. Now, the phrase short-term is vague uh, because short-term can be six months, depending on what the um, underlying precipitant is. The Hallmark symptom is a disturbance in consciousness accompanied by a change in cognition. Delirium has three subtypes. You have hyperactive, hypoactive, and mixed. And the distinction between these are just what the name would imply. Hyperactive is agitated, restless, and hyper-alert. The hypoactive subtype is marked by lethargy and slowness, psychomotor retardation, apathy, and then the mixed state, obviously, where they cycle between hyper and hypoactive. I will review what the mental status exam would look like in a patient with delirium. And as I review the symptoms in the various domains, I want you to recall back to the neuroanatomy lecture as to where these symptoms may originate from in the corresponding parts of the brain. So with respect to general appearance, you'll find that the delirious patient is unconcerned with the appearance, often disheveled and highly inattentive. You'll find that the speech can be impaired, disorganized. They may be rambling and incoherent, slurred. The affect is typically unpredictable and shifting uh, without an identifiable precipitant. They may be lethargic or agitated. The mood is difficult to elicit from the patient. They can't really tell you how they're feeling necessarily. The thought process is often disorganized. They may be distractible. They often can have perceptual disturbances. Illusions are most common. Hallucinations are typically visual uh, and accompanied by illusions. By the way, if you don't know the difference between an illusion and a hallucination, you should distinguish those two. The thought process and content, again, disorganized. There's distorted thought patterns. Uh, delusions, hallucinations are common. The orientation, they're usually disoriented, usually is the first symptom to appear. So it's very important to assess orientation, especially in someone with a highly reactive affect. They may be passable, but until you probe, you wouldn't know. Uh, patients are usually disoriented to time and place. They typically know themselves because we address them by their name with the knowing um, nonverbal communication skills, and so we assume that they know their name. But it's important to say, hello, how are you, what's your name, etc. Uh, memory is often, uh, recent memory is often uh, impaired. Um, concentration is grossly impaired. Abstraction grossly impaired. Judgment grossly impaired, obviously. 
And those are some of the criteria diagnostically in the mental status exam that go along with delirium. You will notice when we talk about dementia, rather, there will be some overlap. You'll also notice some overlap in terms of severe depressions. These will be common characteristics. Again, we don't diagnose diseases. We identify symptoms, which can be traced back to the neurocognitive anatomy and physiology that may be causing those symptoms to occur. It's important to keep that in mind. We're a syndrome-treating uh, profession. We don't necessarily treat a disease state. Even though a disease state may exist, our only way to identify it is based on the constellation of symptoms presented. In treating the symptoms of delirium, sometimes atypical and typical antipsychotics are utilized, so it helps to know what the mechanism of action is for prototypical Haldol, as well as some of the antipsychotic medications. Know what they do to the dopamine system and where the dopamine concentration in the various parts of the brain may affect symptom manifestation. It's important to know what some of the differentials uh, that may cause delirium uh, may be. Uh, the word delirium is often a mnemonic that's used, uh, D for drugs, E for electrolyte abnormality. And of course, when you know electrolyte abnormalities are present, that is affecting the information exchange. And as we said earlier, when we say information in neurology or psychiatry, we mean the electrolyte and the ions fluxing across the cell membranes to transmit signals. That's what we mean when we say information. So that's why electrolyte derangement is something that should easily be ruled out. Oxygenation, obviously, if you're hypoxic, you may be agitated, inattentive, somnolent, etc. Uh, infection, same thing. R for reduced sensory input. So if they're utterly sensory deprived, that also can be disorienting. So for example, your insomniac person who is awake all night, but the in environment is low stim, and then they're so tired they sleep all day and therefore more low stim, what you have now is a delirium due to insomnia or perhaps severe depression uh, due to reduced sensory stimulation. There can be obviously intracranial factors, urinary and renal retention, uh, especially in the elderly, or also with some medications. So when they say this is a drug-induced delirium, that may be the case, but the, the delirium may be coming from, say, the urinary retention, not so much this effect of the medication. It's a secondary cause. And of course, uh, any cardiac uh, issues should be ruled out. Silent demise, or if the person is a poor reporter of symptoms, um, it's important to be able to elicit those as well. So it's nice that you can identify some underlying causes for reversibility, and then you have to allow time for the delirium to reverse. You also have to be mindful of what you're introducing to treat the delirium may further precipitate another cause of delirium. So it can be somewhat complicated. Now I want to change gears a little bit and talk about dementia. Now, dementia is a group of disorders characterized by a gradual development of multiple cognitive uh, deficits. Now, it's important. Dementia develops gradually, whereas delirium develops acutely. So it's important to know that distinction. Uh, typically, dementia is characterized by uh, impaired executive functioning, impaired global intellect, with a fixation uh, on, with a preservation of the level of consciousness. So the level of consciousness is usually retained. They're not unresponsive when they're demented. With delirium, they may be abundant at times. Uh, impaired organizational skills and, of course, altered memory is what is most often attributed to dementia. Uh, there are many different types of dementia, uh, and they all have underlying uh, different pathology. 
the most common type is dementia of Alzheimer's type, which is often abbreviated DAT, dementia of Alzheimer's type. This is the most common type of dementia. It's gradual, onset, and progressive with an expected decline. Uh, there are typically no focal neurological deficits. That is to say, the neurological exam, when you test cranial nerves and balance and stability and uh, diction, um, they should all be normal in dementia of Alzheimer's type. The hallmark sign, obviously, the theory for now is the amyloid deposits and the neurofibrillary tangles, excuse me. Those are typically identified on autopsy. Another type of dementia is the vascular dementia. And this is the second most common type, formerly called multi-infarct dementia. Uh, this is uh, common with patients that may have uh, prothrombotic states, such as atrial fibrillation, or they're hypercoagulable, or they're immobile. Uh, this is primarily caused by cardiovascular disease, and it's characterized by a stepwise decline. So you'll have plateau, then steep decline, followed by plateau, followed by steep decline. Timing is variable for all the dementia states with respect to decline. Some do decline faster than others. Uh, vascular dementia is more common in men with pre-existing high blood pressure and cardiovascular risk factors, obviously. You can have a dementia due to HIV disease, and this is uh, classified as a subcortical dementia and can be manifesting symptoms of global cognitive impairment, mutism, seizures, hallucinations, delusions, apathy, and mania. So as you hear these symptoms associated with these cognitive disorders, you can then consider where in the brain they may be originating from. Another type of dementia is called Pick's disease. This is also known as frontotemporal dementia. This is associated with a neural loss, gliosis, uh, and Pick's body's present uh, most common, again, in men, and you will more notably notice personality and behavioral changes in the early stages. So when you hear frontotemporal dementia, you know that when we discuss the homunculus as to where those behaviors are controlled, you'll have cognitive changes in the later stages. So you may know that in the later stages, you can identify where you are in the dementing process. Early on, personality and behavior, later on, cognitive. You may also notice a syndrome called Culver-Busey syndrome. This is marked by hypersexuality, hyperorality, and placidity. And what that what you'll notice is your patient may become sexually aggressive or inappropriate. They may be constantly hungry. Frontotemporal dementia patients are typically carb craving. So it's, it helps you also identify the symptomatology over time. These are not one-shot uh, diagnoses necessarily, unless they're pretty far advanced. So it's important to establish the relationship so you can interview the collateral and get an idea of what the symptomatology looks like. Crotchfault-Jacob syndrome or disease, this is fatal and rapidly progressing. Uh, it occurs mainly in adults in middle age or older, so age may be the calling sign as to what type of dementia this is. Initially, they show things like you know fatigue, flu-like symptoms, and cognitive impairment. So your job is to rapidly try to identify any reversible causes because like all dementias, they are a diagnosis of exclusion. We don't have biomarkers or necessarily good imaging studies. Some will PET scan, but again, that's only good in terms of trending. Later manifestations of uh, uh, Crutchfield-Jakob is the manifestation of aphasia, apraxia, uh, emotional liability, depression, mania, psychosis, and some other personality changes, which usually result in death within six months. Now, those symptoms, again, you can correlate those with where in the brain uh, you may be having the affliction. There's Huntington's disease, 
another subcortical type of dementia characterized mostly by motor uh, abnormalities. So you may have uh, choreiform movements like Huntington's chorea, uh, psychomotor slowing and difficulty with complex tasks, uh, memory, language, and insight usually are intact until the late stages. And that's what makes this disease so uh, horrible is that the person is actively aware of their decline. Uh, this has a high incidence of depression, psychosis, and suicide. So you should be mindful of that. Lewy body disease caused by Lewy inclusion bodies uh, on the cortex. Uh, present with recent visual hallucinations, uh, Parkinsonian features, bradykinesia, cogwheel rigidity, and tremor. Uh, they'll tell you they see little people, which seems to be the characteristic sign, uh, and they adversely react to antipsychotics. So you'll give an antipsychotic, and it's dopaminergic, and suddenly you see things start to worsen uh, because of the Parkinson features. You add dopamine to the system, and then Parkinsonizes, and things get worse. So, again, correlate the pathophysiology with the manifestation of the symptoms. There are many theories as to what causes dementia, ranging from psychological to neurobiological, but it's well understood that likely it's multifactorial in nature. Um, primary cause, obviously, is unknown. We do suspect a large genetic component to these dementias. Uh, diffuse cerebral atrophy and enlarged ventricles is popular in the dementia of Alzheimer's type. Decreased acetylcholine and norepinephrine in the Alzheimer's dementia, which explains the medication choices that are used, the acetylcholines, as well as the norepinephrine uh, reuptake inhibitors is popular. There are some genetic factors that may play into it. Um, however, much of the genetic testing is, uh, brings with it huge ethical debates because once you genetically diagnose a condition, the question is what do you do with the results? So that's a, another topic and another question for another class, but just something to be mindful of. I will review some of the mental status exam uh, findings associated with dementias. Uh, general appearance, apraxia, and decreased self-care activities of daily living. Again, the disheveled, unkept look. Uh, deterioration of language skills with respect to speech. They may be aphasic. Um, circumulatory phrases, it's that repetition. Indefinite object recognition, such as calling items things. With that thing over there, being unable to find a discrete name. They may overcompensate by turning your your answer or your question around on you. How do you feel? Well, how do you feel? You know, things like that. Uh, you know what that is. They may say things like that to hide the fact that they are searching. Uh, in advanced stages, you may notice mutism and echolalia. So it's advanced to know when the person stops talking or they just keep repeating the same phrase over and over and over again. Uh, it's popular with the declining state of dementia. Affects could be all over the place, so they're very labile. The mood is typically depressed. Patient may just tell you, I feel bad, I feel terrible. Um, often difficult to get from the patient, though. Uh, thought process is impoverished. Uh, thought content difficult to elicit, obviously, because they're not able to express. Orientation, they are often disoriented to time and place, um, disoriented to person in the late stages. They may look at you with this vacant look. Memory is often impaired. Uh, word registration is lost. Recall, retention, and recognition also can be diminished. Uh, concentration, often very distractible. Abstraction, uh, they're very concrete, you will find. Judgment is grossly impaired for self and social judgment. Again, very much similar to 
delirium, but the demented person is often more engaging than someone that is delirious. So that may be another way for to help you distinguish between them. Uh, psychopharmacology for these group for the dementia, NMDA glutamate receptor antagonists, uh, the goal preventing overexcitation of the glutamate receptor. Uh, also, uh, something like Nemenda, Memantine is also used. Cholinesterase inhibitors are another class, and you can conceptualize when you go over the pathophysiology and the neuroanatomy as to where these chemicals will be working to mitigate the symptoms which you are seeing. This concludes the personalized podcast regarding neurocognitive disorders. I hope you have found it helpful. Um, thank you for listening.